Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon, we are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with our others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on, on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram, SoundCloud, and iTunes. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not of the radio station. I'm Josh. And I'm Henry. Uh, today on this week's Indigo Radio, Henry and I are discussing pollution from the military industrial complex here in the United States. We're also going to be connecting uh, the issue of nuclear waste storage and its impact on indigenous peoples living under U.S. occupation. But first up, we have a song. Uh, artists stick to your guns with the song We Still Believe. is WVEW Indigo Radio. We're back. Our first segment uh, is going to start with the words from Greta Thunberg's uh, address to the United Nations last month. My message is that we'll be watching you. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. 
How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. The popular idea of cutting our emissions in half in 10 years only gives us a 50% chance of staying below 1.5 degrees and the risk of setting off irreversible chain reactions beyond human control. 50% may be acceptable to you, but those numbers do not include tipping points, most feedback loops, additional warming hidden by toxic air pollution or the aspects of equity and climate justice. They also rely on my generation sucking hundreds of billions of tons of your CO2 out of the air with technologies that barely exist. So a 50% risk is simply not acceptable to us, we who have to live with the consequences. To have a 67% chance of staying below a 1.5 degrees of global temperature rise, the best odds given by the IPCC, the world had 420 gigatons of CO2 left to emit back on January 1st, 2018. Today that figure is already down to less than 350 gigatons. How dare you pretend that this can be sold with just business as usual and some technical solutions? With today's emissions levels, that remaining CO2 budget will be entirely gone within less than eight and a half years. There will not be any solutions or plans presented in line with these figures here today because these numbers are too uncomfortable and you are still not mature enough to tell it like it is. You are failing us. But the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. All right, welcome back. This is Indigo Radio, streaming at 107.7 FM, WVEWLP. And today we're talking about um, the military industrial complex and climate and health and a bunch of other related topics. And Josh, you and I, before the show started, we talked about um, Greta's speech. You thought it'd be a good way to 
to have her speech in there because it just happened and um you i know were thinking particularly about the things she was she was saying about how this is impacting future generations Do you want to speak to that a little bit yeah um i think what's so powerful about greta's message is that um really at the heart of what she's talking about is that we can't continue on with this this endless growth um when we're in a finite system here right so we think that we can you know continue on with you know oh we'll legislate this or we'll allow for you know certain you know cutbacks on taxes you know because green deal or whatnot but what greta's saying is that this that's not a viable option we have to make drastic change to this um not just for the now but for the future right she said uh there's a 50 percent risk of this uh succeeding with these current plans uh, this is a drastic thing and i think greta is right that um we have to act on it and it can't be just counting our senses on this yeah it's interesting she, you you brought up the idea of endless growth i, I teach economics at uh, local high school and i talk about one of the, this being one of the fundamental contradictions of capitalism which is why many leading capitalists are terrified at the idea of greta and people like her becoming popular in the consciousness of the, of the people both here and worldwide because what they really know and what she knows and this isn't really saying in the clip but she's implying is that capitalism as a system needs to be addressed in a very severe way and she's not she didn't say it there but she basically implied it by saying fantasies of uh, or fairy tales she said of endless economic growth which you just talked about mm-hmm. that there's somehow a contradiction between capitalism's need to grow and to kind of eat the world's resources and the very real reality that that's a silly sentence but the very distinct reality that we are we are running out of resources in the planet do you want to speak to that a little bit further yeah um you know i think with connecting this into this idea about you know pollution out of our military industrial complex and it affecting our climate um you know, the more that we sort of invest, you know, our dollars and cents into this war machine, right, whose function is oppression, it's war, it's, you know, it's killing. Um, is that really the model that we want to continue on with this path, right? Um, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about it with some of these numbers, but spending the, the amount of money that we are with this... Um, we're, I think we're losing sight of the goals that, you know, Greta's trying to address, that others are trying to address about addressing our climate because, you know, we're spending money on tanks and planes, but we could be in spending money on, you know, healthcare for, for mm-hmm. our citizens, you right. know, schools, investing in schools. So schools have paper and pens, <laughs> you know, <laughs> teachers that are paid well. <laughs> and I would argue, since we're going to delve, as you said, a little bit later in the show into the more, some more specifics about um, the military industrial complex and their incredible levels of waste and their contribution to a, a warming planet and, and to climate change. I would say there's a very, and I'm not, I, don't, I want to talk about it now because I'm not sure we're going to get into that specifically later in the show, is that capitalism as a system is always defended or has been defended by imperialism as a system. And so from my point of view, the military industrial complex is really doing its job. That's what it is, a military industrial complex. The military is in doing the job of, of supporting the industries that are raping and pillaging the earth's resources. And so to me, there's a very real connection between what the military is doing to prop up that system. Um, and not only it's its contribution to climate change, but it's effort in propping up other climate polluters and criminals and their behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, 
with this, you know, with this topic, it's, it can feel pretty loaded for people, I think, but I think it's about, you know, really acknowledging where we're at mm-hmm. and that the system isn't going to continue on. Right. Uh, if, if we just keep taking from it. And so but the system, you mean this ecosystem? Yeah. The, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, our world can't take it. The, right. the more that we're taking out of it for, for this and that, mm-hmm. um, however we justify it, we're still taking it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still affecting our climate. And, you know, if we, if we don't start to address that capitalism is, is sort of destroy, it's destroying our planet, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to move forward on this, right? And I, you know, I like to say to my students sometimes when we when we discuss capitalism and the economic system, just to realize that it's a it's a relatively recent invention. I mean, we we think about the you know Homo sapiens, let's say, being around for three hundred thousand years. Um, even our civilized na- settled agriculture, let's say, ten thousand years, give or take. It's and then capitalism as a dominant economic system, five eh, hundred ish years. I mean, they're they're kind of precursors of capitalism, certainly like slave-based economies and feudalism, mm-hmm. but as far as capitalism as a system, it's only 500 years old, which may sound like a lot to my students and to us as we sit here, but it's such a, just a short, the, que- the question is, will that 500 years, uh, and we're currently in it, will it be our undoing, was really the question, or can we find a new way to live? Yeah, and I mean, that, that past 500 years, I mean, we've, we've taken a lot from the earth in that, in that 500 years, mm-hmm. you know, that's been here for a lot longer than 500 years. Right, right. So, it's it's disturbing to see that a system like this that we're living with uh, can have such a detrimental effect to you know the world and ourselves too. Yeah, and it's that irony too of capitalism producing just tremendous wealth. So what, the defenders of capitalism will always say, "Well, look at how wealthy and strong and happy everyone is." You know, we have so much material gain. Well, that's true on some level there has been a tremendous amount of wealth created um but to what end for everyone not just for the few but for the many like what is the what is the reality for the many going to look like in a hundred years not just you know the few relative people in the in the world in the country who have benefited so handsomely from it so yeah yeah all right do you want to segue us into the next song we're going to hear yeah so next up uh we've got 99 red balloons by goldfinger okay and then when we come back we're going to get more directly into some of the military pollution issues and kind of pull those apart a bit on our return. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thanks. You and I in a little toy shop Buy a bag of balloons with the money we got Set them free at the break of dawn Till one by one they were gone Back at base, bugs in the software Flash the message, something's out there Floating in the summer sky 99 red balloons go
Welcome back to WVEWLP 107.7 Indigo Radio. That was 99 Red Balloons by Goldfinger. Uh, bit of a bit of a fun track there uh, to dance along to. But what's really important, I think, out about that was uh, the sort of underlining story behind that, Henry. Yeah, what is that? Because when you picked that song originally, we were planning the show, and I was confused because I'm like, 99, that's that kind of silly song from the 80s. And it just shows you, you have to be careful to judge a book before you know what it's about. And, and you really, I don't know how you figured out what it was about. How did you learn that? But it's not about, it's not this kind of, it sounds a fanciful kind of lighthearted song, but it's actually quite deep. Do you want to? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, if you look at the lyrics, it's this story about, uh, you know, some people buying, you know, they buy 99 red balloons and then they just set them free because it's a fun thing to do, you know, not taking into account maybe for the sea turtles and everything else, <laughs> right, but right, right. Um, just for the whimsical 99 balloons. Exactly. So, well, these 99 balloons get out in the story and then, um, you know, the, the military sees on their, their radar, oh, we've got this, you know, this blip. So they sent out the fighter jets to it and they, then, you know these other countries start seeing this country sending out fighter jets to these balloons and everybody starts this arms race thing. Um, so it just ends up in this cataclysmic war. You know, people are, you know, it's the end of the world now mm. over this thing and all because we're building up, building up. Um, the end of the song there is that great, you know, it's, it switches to German there. Mm. And what um, do they say? And the, what's the German translation? Um, so this is one line from it. Uh, 99 years of war have left no place for winners. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you think about the United States and, and our history, which we're going to get into a little bit into like some of the pollution going on present day, but that we have been really, it's been one long kind of militaristic project from the get-go, more or less. I mean, Absolutely. it's in, and one could argue even the last hundred years, even ramping up even more. So it's been a long, a long militaristic project Absolutely. in this country. Yeah. So did you, you, you picked out, or we picked out a, a Robin Durath, Robin Durath Tagore quote from uh, the early night from 1917, I believe, when he's talking about some of the similar issues. Do you, do you mind uh, reading that and, and then we could talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Um, so this is the quote. We had wars, pillages, changes of monarchy, and, uh, consequent uh, misseries. Never such a sight of fearful and hopeless veracity. Such wholesale feeding of nation upon nation. Such huge machines for turning great portions of the earth into mincemeat. Never such terrible jealousies with all their ugly teeth and claws ready for tearing open each other's vitals. Yeah, kind of setting, saying, and he, of course, people for World War I were horrified by what's going on. And he is observing the turn and civilization really becoming not civilization and, oh, isn't it nice we have books and, you know, medicines that help people. And he's saying, what is civilization becoming but this kind of hor- horrifying war machine, I think. is Yeah. yeah. He, this, this quote, uh, he wrote this after he was uh, he was on a ship, and this is 1917, mm. um, and there was an oil spill on the ocean, on you know off the ship that he mm. saw, and it moved him so much to see this, knowing that this was the result of conquest, of war. Yeah, and not for the betterment of humanity, but for the kind of expansion of greed and and as I like that he says, uh, terrible jealousies with all their ugly teeth and claws, ready for tearing each other open. Oh, tearing open each other's vitals versus lifting each other up, but tearing each other apart. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, with this too, he, you know, he starts right at the start, you know, we had all these things, but what he's talking about too with this is like now in this moment now it's, it's more so, right. It's not just for, um, these little jealousies, like there's conquest, there's money involved with this now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are getting rich off of war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
in a way that he wouldn't have probably believed in 1917. It was just beginning to get online, the huge corporate spending. World War One. I, I always think when I teach World War One, my students, it's, a, it's the beginning of that kind of thing. I think on a broad scale, it's like really military industrial complex, heavy duty shift towards, oh, we got to pay these contractors. They're going to benefit. We're going to benefit. It's a, it's a win-win for the military industrial complex. And that really is when it starts to, I think, I mean, it happens earlier, but not to the level of World War One, And then, of course, builds from there. So, yeah. And we're 100 years from that. So it's, you know, it's 100 years of this kind of. So let's um, pivot a little bit, if you don't mind. And um, let's talk about, um, can you talk about the amount of money that the the military industrial complex has spent, uh, let's just say, on, um, uh, you know, on, we can either talk about the overall spending on nuclear weapons, if you want to, or, and, and just juxtapose that with, with our health and our well-being. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, there, there was an article recently from Common Dreams um, that dove into this, this cost of, um, you know, to society, what this means for, for us in the United States. Um, some of the highlights out of that, um, it's something like $20 billion um, spent on developing nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's <laughs> you mean recently because the, we spent a trillion dollars, and we'll go over that later. But yeah. you know, in the whole you're talking about twenty billion in, in more recent times for developing new weapons, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so you know, to, you know, to cancel those pro, you know, a project like that, that's that's twenty billion. Yeah. You know, so it's a little bit more than we had before for things. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's right. And how do we juxtapose that with, with health and well-being of society? I mean, isn't there a bit of a contradiction, again, within the United States of, of people discussing health and health care proposals and never quite, full, even, the, even the people in the Democratic Party, I would say, never quite fully grasping that issue, the tension between who's getting the resources? Yeah. I, you know, with this, we... You know, the, the U.S. military and Department of Defense budget, um, some of the highest numbers, right? And outgrossing, you know, some, some countries even. So if you think about that, that's sort about of... their pollution levels or, or just as far as the expense of keeping it maintained? Maintaining, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think about some of those, you know, that sort of money um, going in that direction, you know, when we think about where we're at now with healthcare, right? Mm-hmm. Um for myself i'm you know think about all the woes i have with just trying to stay healthy do you Um, have health insurance right now no i don't i can't afford it you don't have it okay so you're you're basically case study in point right yeah you're Um, just relying on the fact that you're relatively young and relatively healthy and hoping that nothing goes wrong you know yeah Yeah. drink my orange juice and eat an apple right right? yeah there's Um, your healthcare program you know and and so this 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 piece about you know all this money going into this now I'm not alone in this. There's other feel- people that are without, even oh, yeah. in, in more dire situations too. Much, yeah. you know, think about how many GoFundMe you know pages we see for people with health problems. Right. That's um, our healthcare solution. That the people will get sick and they have to put a GoFundMe program out to hopefully pay for their, you know, gas so they can heat their homes while they go under, undergo cancer treatments or what have absolutely, you. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, we're you know putting all this money into investing new military technologies. Um, you know, new weapon systems, yeah. all these sorts of things. But, you know, at the heart of it, the people that, you know, this sort of military complex is, you know, self-told to be protecting, the, these people aren't being protected. Interesting, right. So the, the, we've, we're told that it's Department of Defense, i.e. defending us, 
But the irony is that they're doing often the exact reverse by spending all this money. They're making us sicker because there's less resources resources home for things like healthcare. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. And it's not just the money too. It's right. the pollution. Oh yeah, let's get it. Let's it's generated out that. of this. Right. So right. I want to pivot to that. Thank you. You brought that up because I don't want to lose the thread there. So because that was one thing you really want to touch on. So can we go to Afghanistan? Because that's been our imperial, our current imperial project for the last 20 some odd years. The yeah. longest war in U.S. history. We've been there almost, as I said, almost two decades of, of attacking, fighting in Afghanistan. And can we just talk about, we know about the killing and the maiming, the endless war, but what about the waste dumps? Because you and I read a couple of articles before we came to the show about the, the toxic effects, um, like at the Bagram Air Force Base yeah. in, in Afghanistan. They have open fire pits where the U.S. government is burning um, plastics, whatever, literally just burning whatever they have that's waste products, which in this current capitalist society we create lots of, and they're just putting things in an open pit. And can you talk about what that, what kind of effects it's having on both U.S. soldiers and on the local population? Yeah, so I, um, this was something that came up recently too, and I think within the past couple of years about, um, you know, this was like a court case about this with soldiers, um, you know, essentially poisoned mm. from, you know, being put on these, these burn pit duties, yeah. you know, and they're, they're asked to go out there and just maintain this burn, you know, um, that's a lot of toxins, a lot of poison in the air that they're putting out there that they're breathing in. Yeah. Um, and for the, the people of Afghanistan that are living there, they have to breathe this too. They can't go in there. They're not moving. Right. I mean, the troops have the benefit, at least that they're on a tour, they're going home, they're getting sickened, but the people who live near Bagram, for example, are just mm-hmm. left they're, to, yeah. they're without. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, so they're feeling the effects of this too. Um, everybody that's tied to this is feeling the effects. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not just that, you know, we pollute and then we're free from it. Right. It has ongoing effects and it ties interesting to the healthcare. So we have this, one of the soldiers has a glioblastoma, Mm -hmm. most likely from serving one of the burn pits. He's back here in the United States and he's heavy duty health intervention, which is putting an incredible, even more strain on these soldiers who come back from these wars forget about PTSD, but just the pollution they're encountering and oftentimes is making them sick and it's putting tremendous pressure on our healthcare system, which is broken in the first place. So that's kind of another irony of the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can we also talk about, we looked at some numbers too, and, and we looked at the fact that the, the Pentagon as an institution is one of the largest polluters in the world. And if it was a country, what, what something like the, it's the 55th largest polluter like if the pentagon was a country it would be the 55th largest polluter in the world can you speak to that a little bit just as a macro level yeah um i mean <laughs> excuse me um i you know with, with this case it's you know larger annual f- uh, carbon footprint than most countries like you said mm-hmm. um i mean the sheer amount of fuel you've got to burn mm-hmm. to reach those levels Right. It, re- it almost requires you to have a military industrial complex to get to that level. Right. right. Like you couldn't you, you wouldn't be able to burn that much without right. it. Like you would need to be flying planes all the time, even just for training. You know, you right. need to be moving vehicles, you know, moving ships, um, moving people like there's so much energy that's required to make this, you know, this behemoth work that without it it doesn't happen and we have hundreds of military bases ringing the globe the count is the official counts 700 probably and and the unofficial counts upwards of 900 bases ringing the globe so as you're right you have to you have to support all those and the way you get there is by incredibly pollutive ships incredibly pollutive planes what have you to to supply those bases yeah yeah um i was actually you know it's funny you bring up the bases i mean there's we have a lot of bases that we don't know about Mm -hmm. um we have a lot of bases that are you know 
just storage depots. You yeah. know, you've got people there that are just sitting on supplies. Yeah. You know, like we have a base. What, was it you that was showing me that we're based on Aruba or something? Like was one of the articles like, do we really need a military base in Aruba? What's going on here? Yeah. Right. It's just, it's, it's lunacy, but it's incredibly, um, it's almost like the United States as a country is one of the worst polluters. We're, we're top three or four polluters in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've got a, a, the 55th polluter because of the Pentagon embedded within us. So we've got a baby within a baby, kind right. of. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Westfield, Mass? You had something about that as far as pollution there that's a little closer to home. Yeah. Westfield's just down the road here at Pisa. What's going on in Westfield or what's happening there? Yeah, so back, um, well, let me say this. So Westfield has uh, the Barnes Air Force Base, which mm-hmm. is an air reserve uh, base there. Um, the A-10s fly out of there. They have a number of things that they do, but... Um, so back in the 80s, um, they started using um, flame retardants um, that contain PFAS, um, which is essentially this chemical chain. Um, it just holds on toxins. It's, it's got a lot of negative effects to the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stays in your, body, your system for a while. Uh, and these come out of the... So these PFASs are, are produced as part of this, uh, these flame retardants. And... They're, they're, they're common. They're in everything. I mean, we yeah. were talking about it earlier with the... Uh, Teflon pans. Or, exactly. Right, yeah. um, so this stuff is everywhere. But what happened is, is you know, in using these flame retardants on the airbase, uh, the base also happens to sit on an aquifer. Of course. Right? Yeah. And a shared aquifer, too, with mm-hmm. another community. Um, but was ha- what has happened is that uh, these PFASs have leached into the water systems. Um, the city of Westfield currently has two wells offline. Yeah. that are in this, you know, this destruction zone. Um, residents, people, students, you know, children, mm-hmm. they can't get clean water. Right. I mean, it's like Flint. Yeah, in, sure. a, in a sense, you know, that, you know, we have water that's polluted. And, um, you know, currently there are some great people in Westfield that are, are working to address this and, and hold accountable the people that uh, need to be. And, um, but the water is, is not clean. Yeah. Um, and they don't have a solution right yet to clean the water. And this is also, we've got the same problem, not a military base in Bennington, like in Westfield, but Bennington, Vermont's dealing with the same problem. They have PFAs in their, yeah. in, in their system and uh, wells are offline in Bennington. And, and how safe would you feel if you're living in Westfield? You're like, oh, those two wells are, I'm sure my well's fine. I wouldn't feel that way. I would feel, I would feel threatened just being in the vicinity, I think, and you would be rightly concerned to be... Yeah, and it I mean, leaches over time. When this, when you know the the sort of the stories broke about this, and you know the testing had been done, and people found out that these this water was polluted, a lot of people of us were concerned, and they still are. Yeah. Um, you know they they can't trust that the water they're drinking is clean. Yeah. So people are having to go to Walmart, you know, and buy you know cases and cases of water to be able to cook and themselves and think of that too this is i mean not to get into the nitty-gritty but here we are get buying bottled plastic water you know mm-hmm. and these bottles are you know made of toxic materials and and so it's just this weird closed loop that we're or not even weird it's predictable closed loop of of um you know that's the solution to go buy these plastic jugs that will then be thrown at some landfill most likely because china won't long will no longer take our waste so we're going to throw it in some landfill and call it recycling and um you know we're back to square one it doesn't help anything yeah, yeah. and even you know it's interesting too you know you can get you know they'd say get a filtration system for your house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know well you've filtered it out what are you going to do with it then that's right it's going to be thrown in the landfill and and can everyone afford those filtration systems you right know, if the city's not going to buy it for you my guess is like much much that goes on in america people could afford it would buy them people that can't won't 
Yeah. And they'll, you know, have to deal with their chances, basically. So we're going to pivot um, after the next song break to um, nuclear waste storage. Did you want to talk about just briefly um, these 21 stranded? I thought that was kind of interesting. 21 stranded nuclear waste storage facilities. What, what's that all about? Yeah. So it it's in the United States, there's no permanent storage facilities for nuclear waste. Mm-hmm. Um we're going to get into it. There's a proposed uh, permanent site um, that we're going to talk about. But so these 21 stranded sites uh, are sites that they just don't have a permanent place for them. So eventually, at some point, whenever the contractor agreed terms are up, this nuclear you know waste has to get moved somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Where's it going to go? There's no other permanent places to. Right. And we also know that uh, as far as nuclear producers, that the United States military, I mean, the, the military industrial complex works on two levels. You have the, the domestic, the civilian so-called or whatever, you know, corporate production of of nuclear waste and you have the military production of nuclear waste is both both are massive and the question for both of those entities where do you put it and, and are one of the 21 or will one of the 21 be this the site i mean literally 10 miles from us as far as vermont yankee are they not a stranded site right now i believe they are yeah right because that we have the the their de- i mean i read an article this week they're decommissioning that plant mm-hmm. and those dry cor- storage casts sitting in a floodplain are waiting there to go somewhere and they're not going to go anywhere as far as we can see yeah yeah they're just there and you know, I mean, the, there's nobody in the country that wants it. Who wants yeah. toxic waste right. in their in their backyard? I can't right. think of anybody that does. No, uh, I th- I had a proposal when we were planning the show. Why don't we bring it to the the executives of um, Energy and put it in their backyards, perhaps on on their helipads on top of their house, or just bring a dry cask and put it on top of their mansion? But oh. Of course, that won't work because then they'll sell it to someone and move somewhere else with with their money, I suppose. But okay, so we're gonna go into a song bl- break in a minute for uh, Rage Against Machine at Sleep Now in This Fire. And Rage is talking about kind of this history of uh, a bit of a, they, they'll touch on the lyrics, some environmental racism going on, which we will touch on the way back. We'll, on the on the other side of the song break, we'll, we'll touch more closely upon nuclear, the nuclear industry and the, and the, the legacy of the military industrial complex in some of these native uh, communities out in the western part of the country. Do you want to add anything to that before we go to the break, Josh? Uh, no, I'm excited for this song, though. Okay, great. So we'll switch to Rage in a minute, and then we'll be back with you on the other side. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to WVEW 107.7 FM, your community radio station, WVEWLP Brattleboro.
programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by Everyone's Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks Everyone's Books for their support of this station. All right, this is WVEW LP, Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections, on the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram, SoundCloud, and iTunes. This week on Indigo Radio, Josh and I are discussing pollution from the military-industrial complex here in the U.S. and the connected issue of nuclear waste storage impact on indigenous peoples living under U.S. occupation. So, um, Josh, we're going to pivot a little bit now towards... uh, some of the nuclear waste issues going on and also how that impacts um, a particular native peoples, in this case, uh, the Shoshone people out in the Western United States. But could you give us just to begin, just so we can get a, a sense of the scope of what's been going on with um, nuclear waste, can you, can you give us some of the data that surrounds that stuff as far as what we're talking about? Yeah. So uh, just to sort of key into the bigger numbers here, it's um, the U S government, between 1945 and 1996, it spent about $6 trillion um, developing nuclear technologies. Um, and as a result of that, we've now got about 4. Uh, sorry, 4.7 billion cubic meters of contaminated soil and groundwater now in the United States. Um, it's, those areas are contaminated by over like 1,000 you know, nuclear weapon tests, um, about 220 of them above ground. So... Um, you know, we've got a lot of this terrible nuclear waste in the air, okay. in our soil, in our water. Yeah, and um, just briefly before we go into Nevada more specifically, just the sheer number, $6 trillion between, what did you say, 46 and 96 or 42 and 96? Uh, 45 and 96, 40, yeah. Between 94, so we know it's it's growing even still from that point. So six. imagine, just as a thought experiment, what could have been done with $6 trillion? What would our country look like? retract take all that money out of that and put it into roads hospitals schools what would that i mean edu- you know what would that look like the six trillion dollars subtracted from that and added to something else well it might mean route nine era uh, highway 91 looks a little bit cleaner <laughs> <laughs> right it might mean that indigenous peoples actually have are not the poorest communities in the united states they actually have they're not the most under-resourced um populations in the united states for example yeah. um it could mean all sorts of things but it's almost it's such a large number it's almost unfathomable to think of what that could have gone to versus what it did go to absolutely and it points the deep level of malfeasance and viciousness of the military industrial complex that that this is kind of the monster that's been created and the real serious externalities that, that are caused by this kind of behavior 
Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> what about this? Um, we know that that uh, Nevada is one of the most env- environmentally impacted areas of the United States, as far as the new. We, according to the data we have, it's the most radioactively com- contaminated area around the Nevada test site in the United States. Can you talk a little bit about maybe environmental racism, maybe define what that is, and then how it has to do with what we're talking about today? Yeah. So, with environmental racism, um, what we're looking at is sort of environmental impacts uh, through the, the sort of lens of race, mm-hmm. right? So in, I'm going to give this example about uh, the, the water in Flint, right? Mm-hmm. Flint, yeah. Michigan. Um, so this is a, uh, an area of um, you know, people that are of color and you know, it's, it's poor communities too. Um, and the water is not fixed. Right. Right. Now, Henry D., do you think this would be happening in Brattleboro? Like, would the water be fixed if it was poisoned in Brattleboro? Or how about Stanford, Connecticut? Let's take that better. Like, so, take yeah. one of these super wealthy communities and say, well, would Greenwich, Connecticut, would they have dealt? Because the the idea in, in Flint is they diverted the water from Lake Michigan, I think, to the Flint River, um, hoping to save money, you know. So, and then of course it was heavily polluted, and and now the you know this community of color, as you said, community living in poverty is left to deal with this. And I think the answer is no. And that's a classic example of environmental. I'm glad you brought, brought Flint up. It's a classic example of environmental racism where they think, well, okay, these folks don't have the, the resources and will not fight back. And, and we are the, the government being not we, you and I, but the government be willing is willing to do what it, what it wants to in this case, because they're, they, they're not fearing pushback from the population, even though it has been the case, there have been people thankfully in Flint who have pushed back and hard. So that's the kind of hopeful sign here. Yeah. So can we pivot to um, Yucca Mountain? Can you tell us a little bit about Yucca Mountain and what's going on there a, a bit? Yeah. So Yucca Mountain is, um, it's about 80 miles uh, outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this proposed site for um, permanent housing of our nuclear waste in the United States. Um, now, the major contradiction here, though, is that we've got Shoshone tribe members living on this land. This is their land. Right. Um, and the treaty that they uh, originally signed to ensure that land back in 1863, um, the Treaty of Ruby Valley, um, you know, gave them the rights to their land under you know, the U.S. government. Um, but it also allowed for the U.S. government to get in there and do some rail work and mining. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In the 80s, there was this proposal to create this, you know, waste facility at yeah. Yucca Mountain. Um, and there was all this pushback, right? Yeah. Understandably so. Like, who wants to have nuclear waste in their in their backyard? I mean, right. for the Shoshone people, too, especially, you know, it's already a really irradiated area. Um, you know, these are people that, um, you know, are, are hunting for their food. You know, the animals that they're they're eating, they're eating this, you know these contaminated, you know, grasses, they're drinking these contaminated waters. Mm-hmm. So these people are taking it in. So you're saying that even before Yucca Mountain, and, and there's, right now there's, there hasn't been any, it has not been used, it's been created, but not been used for nuclear waste storage. But you're saying even before this even goes in, they've already, the Shoshone and other native peoples in the Western United States have been affected by the nuclear nuclear testing, nuclear weapons testing. Is that yeah, what I mean, all that, all that development we talked about, that testing that they've done over these years, like, that all happened in this in this area in, mm-hmm. in Utah, Nevada, yeah. um, Arizona, and I mean, it's something. I I I've got the comparison number. It was it was 13 kilotons of uh, nuclear fallout mm-hmm. uh, when the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima um, in 1945, uh, and over the over the past over about 40 year study, um, 
in Nevada, Arizona, and Utah, 620 kilotons. Okay. So run that again. 13 for Hiroshima. Yeah. And 600 in that area. And 620 for that area. Now, granted, it's a larger area, but still. Yeah. And it's over over time. Yeah. But that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And so even before the, the Shoshone have to fight against... Um, Yucca Mountain being the nuclear waste storage, they are already dealing with higher levels of radiation poisoning in their communities. Yeah. Higher levels of cancer, higher levels of exposure to radiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and for these people, they, they're, they're responsible, you know, mm-hmm. in the eyes of the U.S. government for their own health. Mm. Right? Right. They, they can't go to the doctors that, you know, we go to. Right. right? So, Which we can't even really go we to. We can't even go to. Because <laughs> right? so. so much money has been spent in other ways. Okay. All right. And so, but there has been some success, right? They have, they have struggled against um, Yucca Mountain. And, they, and there has been some success, um, particularly of the Native Community Action Council, which is located um, near Yucca Mountain, the Shoshone, and led by Shoshone people. Do you want to talk about some of the success they've had and pushing back on that? Yeah. So in, uh, in December of 2014, the, uh, the NRC office um, of Nuclear Material Safety and Regular safeguards uh they published this really long awaited study um about you know the requirements for the site and uh what they found was that the department of energy uh did not meet the requirements Mm. for uh in terms of land ownership and water rights so what we have here Mm. is these indigenous people standing up saying no this is our land right we're going to go through the channels that you have in place to prove to you that this is our land. Which you wrote down on paper, right? <laughs> exactly, right? right? Um, I'm just going to add the, the Native Community uh, Action Council representing the Shoshone and uh, Paiute people intervened in the Nuclear Reg- Regulatory Commission licensing of Yucca Mountain. Um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission proceedings, um, they're a very lengthy process, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is something Super that complicated. if you're going to get into it, you're going to get into Over it. Over decades, right? Right? Yeah. Um, and so they were able to achieve this this standing order against them, uh, against the DOE. And they're the only, it's quite fascinating, they're the only party of standing um, in these proceedings with the Atomic Safety Licensing Board without any financial support from, um, without any other financial, they themselves organize themselves yeah. as, as a unit, which is amazing in itself. Imagine the, the kind of power it takes to, fight these other well-funded entities and they're basically fighting as a community-based organization and they're the only one in this that gave that the u.s government gave um essentially um party withstanding yeah you know it's, it's impressive yeah so what does that it means for people like us who live by this is so such a kind of i don't want to say beautiful because that sounds too sarcastic but it's such a a strange kind of loop where we here we have right down the river in this floodplain right the connecticut river floodplain mm-hmm. we have tons of i don't know the exact amount but of dry cast storage of nuclear waste from vermont yankee waiting to be shipped to yucca mountain and it should never be shipped to yucca mountain and the shoshone rightfully on them saying we're not taking this stuff i should add though that there's a place in west texas and it'd be interesting to know we didn't study more they're taking our stuff they're taking the low level quote-unquote nuclear waste of the of the casts you know the actual reactor core itself they cut it up into pieces and they're shipping it by train these line trains to west texas and that is happening for the low-level waste. Yeah, I I I I found out about them too. Uh, and even there, the, mm. there are people that don't want it. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> hey, I've got a big pile of feces. Can I move it over to your house? Sure, bring it over. Put it in my backyard, essentially. But a, a toxic pile of feces that will kill you and your family over a long period of time. Not yeah. just regular feces, but the real serious stuff. So why would they want it in West Texas or anywhere? And so this is the situation we're in. This weird, because of this military-industrial complex 
monster that's been created. And okay, it provided power. Yes, we know that. But power with not any long-term, what is the consequence of this? What are we talking about as far as long-term consequences? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for the, even for the people, and I'm just thinking about it now, even the people that are placed in charge of pulling out these, these you know, nuclear materials mm-hmm. out of the earth, like yeah. even these people too. Oh yeah, are are struggling to pay for their their medical bills, right? It's so something what, we came across something like a hundred thousand people sickened, or what, what was the data point to, of the people that worked in that that are now being, um, you know, applying to the U.S. government for um, relief from their medical bills? Uh, it was like ten million, I think. Ten million the, dollars or ten million people? To, dollars, for yeah, the cost, right, 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 to be but, able to to provide care for these people. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a yeah good point. Even the people that have done the mining are sickened by, and you know it makes sense. You and at the time that it started, people were not properly safe. You know you think no. of the early, you know now there's more safety equipment. The early parts of this mining, there wasn't safety equipment at all really to help people. Yeah. Um, so, okay, I want just before we wrap up, we have a little bit of time left. I want to tie it into. Um, a little bit of the idea of the genocide, because if we're looking broadly speaking, that I, I would think that this reality for the Shoshone people is tied into the larger imperial genocidal project that's been conducted against Native peoples in North America since uh, white people arrived on these lands. And uh, can you speak to that a little bit, or let's have a conversation about that as far as how this ties in, as far as the land that they're on and how they ended up there and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think back to the environmental racism piece, like, to have to have genocide, you you have to have this environmental racism piece mm-hmm. too to this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like they're connected. You yeah. can't separate the two. Um, you know, the, the treatment of you know indigenous people here in the United States by the U.S. government has never been kind, mm-hmm. right? Um, even as colonists, you know, when white settlers first arrived, like mm-hmm. it was terrible, and it's always been like that. Yeah. Um, so this is this is just you know when we talk about Yucca Mountain, this is a continued piece of that legacy. Yeah. Um, so it's important, I think for us to address that this is genocide, mm. right? This it's is like, yeah, it's like the kind of the, end, it's almost the end game of genocide in some way, like the last, the final, maybe one of the final affronts of this whole process. Let's take you and the land that you, that was good and you were living on healthy and, and the United States government's like, we're going to take the native people, push them into reservations on the crappiest land mm-hmm. that we don't want. And now the government wants that land to put nuclear waste on. It's it's almost like the final slap in the face of the whole process of genocide to say, here, you take this reservation land. We don't want that land. Oh, wait, we do want it. We want it for nuclear waste storage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that's pretty deep stuff, thinking about how how, how twisted and, and um, sadistic that is almost. I mean, the, the effects that this has, you know, just being around this toxic stuff, it, it kills you, right? Mm. So, I mean, if you're trying to a race of people. I mean, it's, I mean, in the eyes of the government, this is like a great opportunity for themselves to say it's intergenerational. It's multi-generational. Right. right. And there's very, you know, other than dumping it, that's all they have to do. Yeah. And it's taken care of for themselves. Um, so, (laughs) excuse me. Um, yeah, we, we, it, 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 you know, going back to thinking Greta now, we got to address this. Right. 
and you know we're we're the lucky ones you know yeah she said that didn't she i like that you bring that back because she was really when she's saying i'm one of the lucky ones what she was saying is i'm not one of the ones being living in sweden where she lives i'm not one of the ones being impacted by environmental racism Mm -hmm. but essentially that's she didn't use those words but that's what she was saying in that short speech wasn't she she's saying the the people the poor people in the world the indigenous people in the world are being in many cases more heavily impacted by these kind of decisions for be it nuclear waste or climate change or pollution what have you they're the ones that are being most heavily impacted she's one of the lucky ones um, and she's basically saying this is environmental racism in, in so many words I think absolutely yeah all right well let's um let's we're gonna wrap it up for the day we only have a few minutes left I want to we want to talk about um, next week's show and then we're gonna go out with a final song um, Babylon system by Bob Marley which is appropriate to the topic we've been discussing today um, do you want to speak do you know a little bit about what sh- what next week's show is going to be yeah so uh, uh, Nina and Michaela are gonna be on talking about elder care all right um, should be a really awesome show yeah and I think it's again uh, we're talking about um, a, v- a vulnerable part of the population and what what are we doing to care for them and what could we have done to care for them if we had five trillion extra dollars or six trillion dollars geez it would look like maybe heaven on earth perhaps for our elders instead of often what it will look like um, in the present day so okay great um anyway thank you so much for listening everyone josh thanks for all your work and uh thank you henry yeah and um we'll be next be back next week same time same bat channel uh 12 noon on every sunday streaming live from wvw 107.7 brattleburg community radio and um yeah thanks for being here josh thanks henry yeah and we'll see you next week everyone bye everyone Continue